I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Carlo Ancelotti raised eyebrow of the podcast, sardonic and cynical, and I'm joined by the palindrome poet of the podcast, Tom Woodhead, a man, a plan, a canal, Panama. And finally, yo banana boy, it's Tom Alderson. Tom, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I think it's, it's a while since I've been on a uh, preview podcast, so um, I'm looking forward to that, and it means I can actually watch the game on Saturday and not really have to worry about all the tactics <laughs> and everything. I can just enjoy getting battered by Everton and not have to worry about having to talk about it afterwards. <laughs> you see, that's the, that's the secret, Tom. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> that is, of course, the, the voice of Tom Woodhead. So, Tom, how are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Another double Tom podcast, so... You can call me Joe if you want. <laughs> 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 yeah, we'll, we'll see what name comes out. It's always a bit of a lottery with me. But um, before we get going, looking at the Everton game, let's have a little bit of a talk about some of the news that came out of this week. Obviously, the big news of the week is Marcelo Bielsa being nominated for the manager of the year by FIFA, I guess. Yeah, it's FIFA, I think. Mm, I, I guess a few things to say there. Firstly, it's boiled the requisite gallons of piss um, as this sort of thing would do um yeah tom how tom uh let me get this right tom woodhead how do you feel about this nomination um yeah it's it's a weird one i mean i, I see why he's been nominated these awards are always essentially bollocks aren't they anyway especially anything that's <laughs> voted for by the public it's essentially a you know who's got the most motivated fan base competition but um <laughs> yeah i i I, th- I think it's it's fair enough leads have been out of the Premier League for 16 years, many, many men had tried and failed to get them out and no one had really even come close. I mean, not even Blackwell almost fluked it and, and relied on parachute payments. No, no one no one came close at all, did they? So uh, it's a pretty massive achievement for him to get out and people complaining about, you know, Dean Smith and Lampard. I think that can be dismissed <laughs> out of hand. Uh, you know, Chris Wilder getting out of the division the previous year was a genuinely huge achievement and possibly a bigger one than Bielsa so I could see why he'd be pissed off about it but he'll be pissed off about it anyway so <laughs> and there's no way he would have won it I think no which no, I, I suppose again is another indictment of what those sorts of awards are yeah 
Yeah, and if you if you look at all the managers on the list, they all won something last year. Like you know, Leeds won the championship. Uh, Zidane won La Liga. On and on, they they all actually won a trophy. So that was obviously part of the criteria they were considering. So I'm not sure how you managed to wrangle Dean Smith and Frank Lampard into that conversation. Also, I I just don't think there's any chance he's going to win it either, right? Which makes a lot of this discussion moot. Um, and I suppose that's what that comes down to what you were talking about with respect to the fact that these sorts of competitions are a little bit bollocks anyway, because you almost you almost know why who will win and why they will win and it, it you know a lot of it just becomes a foregone conclusion in that respect so um I, I don't know I think when when talking about Marcelo Bielsa I think it's it's worth having that conversation about about what he achieved and yeah I think you you're right to to highlight the uh the impact that Wilder had at, at Sheffield United um and I suppose that you know I I'm I'm of the opinion that what Marcelo Bielsa did was nothing short short of remarkable. But I suppose I don't really give uh, Wilder's um, uh, achievements that much thought um, simply because I just don't give them that much thought. But again, what he achieved was was remarkable as well. Um, Tom Alderson, what are your thoughts on this topic? It'd be interesting if the Leeds fans. It's probably the biggest test for Leeds fans voting in these sort of polls, isn't it? Because they're against the rest of the world like this time. <laughs> <laughs> they've, never, they've never had to take on the full world before. But yeah, I, th- I, th- I, th- I think it's deserved. Um, but I don't know. I, th- I think you, you could argue that his, what he did the season before, taking the team that finished 13th to 3rd, was probably bigger than taking sort of carrying on his work from the season before and going from 3rd to 1st. So yeah, I think I think it was Darren that said it on Twitter, actually. Yeah, I think it probably was more deserved last season. But like you've said, these awards don't really work like that. Yeah, if they had an XG award, like, <laughs> I'd be shooing for that one. Yeah, and I suppose I suppose Jurgen Klopp will win. Isn't that how this thing works? Probably. I mean, it's it's hard to argue against it if he does win, isn't it? And, and Liverpool are another team with a highly motivated fan base. But <laughs> I, sus- I suspect that their fan base is going to be less asked about whether Klopp wins the FIFA Manager of the Year award than Leeds fans are maybe because, you know, they did win the Premier League. So actually, who gives a fuck? <laughs> yeah, although Liverpool fans are an interesting breed. I'll give them that. Um <laughs> But there we are. Uh, beyond that, there isn't really any other news that I can think of. Can anyone think of anything to add to the agenda? No, absolutely nothing. Good. Well, let's move on to start talking about Everton. So this week I was lucky enough to talk to Joel Parker, who's the founder of Toffee Analysis and a writer for Between the Post. And this is what he had to say about Everton. So Joel, hi, how are you? Oh, I'm not too bad. How are you? Yeah, it's uh, all good. We, obviously, any result against Arsenal where we take a point away from them, I'm feeling pretty good about. So in many respects, I'm feeling okay <laughs> after this weekend. How about yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Back to winning ways, I guess, even though we uh, we tend to make a meal of things when the things are going pretty well in the first half. So uh, yeah, struggled with Fulham, but there we go. So let's talk about Everton. We're nine games into the Premier League season and Everton are just outside the Champions League spots. How reflective of their level do you think this is? Do you think this is the sort of place that we should be expecting to see Everton by the end of the season? Uh, I think it's worth mentioning uh, the situation that Ancelotti inherited when he came in December. Uh, The team was in the relegation zone. Uh, Silva had sort of implemented this uh, poor pressing structure that saw Everton massively open in midfield areas. Um, on the ball, we played a kind of a 4-2-4. Sigurdsson was in this second striker role, uh, not really involved in the build-up, and Everton looked uh, very unbalanced. And um, 
a team that devoid was was devoid of ideas. Uh, so Ancelotti inherited quite a bloated team, a team that uh, wasn't playing very well. Uh, got us back off to a very good start um, as he first came in. A couple of wins, then lockdown, uh, poor restart. Since then, uh, we ranked 18th in expected goals created. And uh, the team leaned on Ancelotti to see us through uh, the tough period just after lockdown and towards the end of the season. But um started very well. There's been a change from the hardcore 4-4-2 uh, Ancelotti-Palmer sort of uh, phase that Everton were going through and expressing a little bit more in the attack. Um, currently, I think the European spots are, are loaded with a lot of strong teams. You've got teams like Southampton, Leicester, Wolves, even teams like Aston Villa are playing very well and we haven't even got to the stage where Man City are starting to um, starting to get into the top places again. So yeah, I think it's it's difficult, but an okay start to the season. I would take sixth very, very happily if, uh, if uh, you had asked me at the start of the season. So I can't really complain too much. Yeah, it feels as though after a good start, you've had a little bit of a wobble in recent weeks. What do you think caused that? Uh, I think there was a couple of things. Firstly, we had a couple of injuries. Uh, Coleman and James Rodriguez were missing for a couple of games. Uh, Richarlison was suspended for three of the games as well. Uh, No player has replicated his versatility or directness in the attack. He's a very, very gifted player for us, a very important player in the final third. So I think missing him was uh, a big deal for Everton. And this saw tactical tinkers, if you will, from um, Ancelotti in the few games that occurred. Uh, Godfrey was played at right back at the game at Southampton. Uh, Everton were exposed down that channel quite a lot when you consider Rodriguez's uh, sort of advanced position, if you will. Michael Cox highlighted this in a recent article that he'd done. Um, I thought that highlighted very, very good points about his positioning when Everton are in a defensive block. Um, and also we saw the Christmas tree formation at Newcastle returning. Uh, we played fullbacks and Kunku and John Joe Kenny, um, and they were pushed really, really high up when Everton were building from the back. Um, what was quite notable was the two centre midfielders, uh, Delph and Decore, were dropping into the deeper half spaces. Um, but this didn't really produce the better angles that you would perceive in that build-up structure and Everton were very, very flat against a defensive block, something that has been notorious when Everton have faced very low blocks um, over the past couple of years. And anything good that was done in progression would later be lost by Sigerson and Andre Gomez in the number 10. So uh, although the Christmas tree formation did turn up, unfortunately we don't have players like Kaka and Seedorf dominating them spaces, which uh, I'm pretty sure Ancelotti was expecting, but maybe not. So we've struggled in the past couple of games. Let's talk a little bit about the transfer business this season. You've already mentioned players like Hamas Rodriguez and Abdullah Decore there. Are you pleased with your transfer business? Uh, I was sceptical with uh, the big signings coming in. First, it was the age profile. Uh, these players are 28, 29 years old. Uh, sort of hitting their prime. Everton have a lot of players that are on big contracts uh, well past the development sort of stage, if you will. We've got players like Senk Tosin, Yannick Balassi, 
Mohamed Besic still on our books. So Everton have have struggled uh, in recent transfer windows and are still suffering because of it. Although Marcel Brands has uh, improved things. And it was quite interesting bringing Alan and Decore in. Uh, it was important depth to our midfield, something, a position that was really, really needed. Um, but they're different roles to what Alan and Decore were playing at their previous clubs. Uh, Decore is playing deeper as part of the three at Watford. He was the number 10, uh, would often push up next to the striker. So uh, he's been playing in the deeper role. Um, whilst Alan, who's usually the left or right to a midfield three, is now playing as a six. And he's not really the sweeper or water carrier that he's proclaimed as. Uh, they both have difficulty tracking runners. Um, and this was highlighted at, at Fulham uh, with a lot of space uh, between the lines for them to play through. Uh, Manchester United also had a very, very good time against us with Bruno Fernandes roaming in and out of that 10 space. And Everton really struggled to deal with that. So I've, at the same time, I think Alan and Decore are definitely improvements. They're both efficient on the ball. Uh, Decore was showing very good late box movement against Fulham. Uh, this was seen his goal, a great cross from Luca Dean and Decore heading in from close range. Something I would like to see a bit more from him. Um, so yes, both players have improved our midfield. Obviously, the main signing that everyone's been talking about is James Rodriguez. Um, a creative machine, but at the same time, I was also sceptical because uh, he had a lot of minutes that he wasn't involved in at Real Madrid, whether that was due to injury or falling out with Zidane. Uh, he hasn't been featuring quite a lot over the past few seasons, but he's top 10 in shot creating actions per 90. He's top 10 in expected assists per 90. So I can't remember the last time an Everton player, at least in the attack, had performed in such good metrics. So uh, those are the, the three main signings. The other was Ben Godfrey, who we spent £25 billion on. Uh, he wasn't a signing that I didn't think was really warranted, considering the depth that we already had in the centre-back positions and uh, academy players like Lewis Gibson and Branthwaite uh, need the development. So I was quite surprised that we did spend the money in him. Um, I think the future for him is as a sixth. It's a position that he played at York City and Shrewsbury. He has good recovery speed, um, but he's suspect in tight areas and could be someone that leads target if he is playing. Let's talk a little bit about Carlo Ancelotti as a manager. How do you feel about him? He's the big name that uh, Mashiri really wanted. Um, and he, had, he's, he is the ambitious manager that he's been trying to portray for ever since that he's came in. I think Ronald Koeman was, in terms of stature in football, uh, Koeman was the only other manager that you could claim, not on the same level as a managerial sense, although he is Barcelona manager at the moment, but it's someone that Mashiri really wanted. Um, and there's a huge amount of faith uh, in Ancelotti from Everton fans, including myself, um, his Champions League pedigree. He's a serial winner, but he's also tactically astute. And provides the versatility that Everton have, have longed for for the last good few seasons. And where would you say that Ancelotti's Everton are right now tactically? What are the basic ideas that you have in his team? Uh, so Everton usually been playing in a 4-3-3. Uh, Alan dropping in as a six in the build-up. It's, it's, it's a structure that doesn't have 
much interchange or much rotation. It's quite basic, uh, but it is an improvement, I would say, on the ball. Um, one thing I would say Everton have had difficulty with is when the midfield has been matched. This is something that I thought Liverpool done really, really well against us uh, and setting up pressing triggers on Andre Gomez, who was the, the third midfielder in that game. Uh, he did struggle quite immensely. Gomez is an interesting player and the third midfielder has been kind of a conundrum. Uh, Gomez isn't the penetrative penetrative passer that you would expect he's very lateral uh plays a lot of the balls on the sideways and he's not uh, mobile enough to particularly skip past players that are pressing him so he's been difficult Sigurdsson has also played in that role someone that doesn't really get involved in the build-up um and has been quite a conundrum since he made that 50 million signing um there's been a lot of calls for a Wobi to play in that position, something that I do see. He's he's much better at progressing the ball from deep than he is in the final third, getting involved in goals and assists. So that is something that I would like to see. Um, but really, Everton, Everton's 4-3-3, um, very basic. The only sort of movement you do see is from James Rodriguez roaming in off the right, um, gets involved a lot in the middle, and there's a lot of patterns when he receives the ball, where he switches it over to the left flank to players like Luca Dean or Richarlison, two very important players in that Everton system. Off the ball, Everton resemble a 4-5-1 medium block. Um, there's a lot of space between the lines when Everton do deploy this. Um, this is usually due to Alan pushing up, but there's also a poor occupation of the 10 space. Once again, Liverpool showed a lot of promise rehearsed patterns playing through and Bruno Fernandes also showed this very well. Um, overall, Everton don't really concede many shots, um, but when they do, they are high quality chances. So Everton have started pretty well, but tactically better, but also there are fundamental problems and principles that Ancelotti and Everton need to work on. You mentioned we've seen Everton almost exclusively in a 4-3-3 this season, uh, but then in the Fulham game, they came out in a 3-4-3. Why do you think Ancelotti did that? Uh, I think the 4-3-3 had gone pretty stale in the last couple of games, the games that we struggled in um, at Southampton and Manchester United. And Ancelotti is also he's prone to changing things, which is something that I do like. Um, so it did, it did need, it did need change. Uh, the 3-4-3 was better for Rodriguez, considering he wasn't the last line of the Everton defence. Um, but there was still a lot of room uh, just outside the penalty area for Fulham to connect. And in the second half, they really should have made a comeback. Um, so it was a formation change, but there were still principles that Everton did need to still need to work on and didn't strictly work. Although I thought the first half we did play quite well and made some very good patterns, very good passing moves and scored three goals. So I can't really complain too much from that first half. But second, we let them in the game and I think I only registered two shots and they was both in the first 10 minutes of that half. So I think that does resemble the work that does need doing if we are to play that formation. What formation do you think we'll see against Leeds then? Personally, I think Ancelotti will stick to it. Um, even if Coleman returns to the team um 
he has the potential to play as a third centre back. It's something that he has done before, and both Ancelotti and Davide, uh, his assistant, uh, have been very complimentary of of Coleman's leadership to the team. He's he's important for that defensive line, and more astute than what Godfrey is at the moment. This season has seen the reinvention of Dominic Calvert-Lewin, and obviously that's had a huge impact on his goal scoring record. How did Ancelotti achieve that? Personally, I think Calvert-Lewin's game hasn't actually changed too much. Uh, he's always been the battering ram in the final third. Um, he's always been fantastic in aerial duels. Uh, he's very good at blindside runs, explosive running into the penalty area. And he had been underperforming in expected goals for the past few seasons. Um, I think what has changed significantly is that his supplies have been improved. Obviously, that happens with James Rodriguez in the team. But rather than crosses from uh, Luca Dean from deep, which was Everton 2019-20 in a nutshell, uh, Rodriguez switches, better crossing positions. Uh, Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison have always complemented each other very, very well. And you have players like Iwobi that can play good passes from half spaces in deep. So I think the supplies have been better and this is why... Calvert-Lewin has been scoring a lot more goals recently. And how do you think Leeds should keep him quiet? In the 4-3-3, he can be left isolated, certainly if Rodriguez drops and Luca Dean is playing um, Luca Dean is playing out wide and connecting a lot with Richarlison. So you do have moments of the game where Calvert-Lewin is isolated. Um, and if Leeds can reduce Everton to long balls from Pickford, I think they will do very, very well. Although... Calvert-Lewin will still be strong in aerial duels. Uh, he wouldn't be in the best positions to be knocking down to players. Obviously, elsewhere, James Rodriguez is an important creative fulcrum for Everton. Do you think Everton rely on him to look dangerous at the moment? I think there's a there's a big reliance on him. Um, in the game against Fulham, when Allen and Decore were on the ball quite a lot, although Decore and Allen didn't have many passing options forward, this is a reoccurring problem. Since the start of the season, the lack of midfield occupation and control from our midfield when we have the ball. Um, Rodriguez drops deep and is a very, very key figure. Um, but Luca Dean can provide two on that left. He has a good relationship with Bernard when Bernard is on the field and they produce nice patterns down the left channel. Um, Luca Dean in the final third is very, very good at connecting with forward runners and is an has been a very, very key figure in the Everton attack. So how are you looking injury-wise at the moment? Well, I know you have your your own unicorn in Diago Lorente, whether <laughs> he exists or not. But um, we have our own in Gabamin, who's played, I think, he, he played one half at the start of last season and started against Watford, um, to the best of my knowledge, and hasn't been seen since. So he's still out. Um Coleman has also been suffering with reoccurring problems, but other than that, Everton's injury list is actually quite limited in comparison to what it has been in the last couple of weeks. So how do you think that you'll line up on Saturday then? For me, I think it'll be the 3-4-3 the three, three structure. Uh, whether he goes for um, Jordan Pickford or Robin Olsen is kind of tricky. I think he has still I think Ancelotti still has a lot of faith in Jordan Pickford, which um <laughs> it can it can be questionable at times, but 
at least there is now backup with Olsen, who I thought performed very well at Newcastle. Um, but personally, I think the three-four-three formation that we're seeing at Fulham will remain, um, which will, if depending on if Coleman's back, Coleman will come in. But I'm pretty sure it would be Godfrey, uh, Yerry Mina, Michael Keane, um, Alex Awobi in the right wing back position, which is a role that he's performing quite well in. Uh, Lucas Steen on the opposite flank, uh, Decore and Alan making that double pivot, and then the three of Rodriguez, Richardson, and Calvert Lewin, providing they all stay fit. And this is a question I always ask our guests, but I'm always interested in it. Which players do you think will need to perform well if you are to beat Leeds? I, I would say all of them, but <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I think that it's really been showing how much Everton have missed Richarlison when he hasn't been there. And again, I don't ask for predictions uh, because obviously anything can happen in a football game, but I'm interested in hearing how you think the game will flow. How, how do you think the game will go on Saturday? I think Leeds' uh, man orientation will cause us a lot of problems, uh, certainly in the midfield, uh, not very press resistant and, and prone to regressive passes. Uh, I'm expecting Leeds to have big opportunities in this game, whether that will be on the transition or against our medium block. Uh, but I do expect Everton to have one or two opportunities as well. Well, Joel, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. If people want to follow you and read your stuff on Everton, what's the best way of going about it for them? Best is Toffee Analysis, which is a blog that I started up in 2016. Uh, we have a number of new writers on there as well, so make sure you check that out. And I'm also writing weekly for Between the Posts, uh, who provide match reports and match analysis and all the big games in Europe, I covered Tottenham Manchester City, which is available for BTP subscribers if you want to view. Well, Joel, thanks so much. Thank you very much. Cheers. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So that was Joel Parker, founder of Toffee Analysis and writer for Between the Posts. Toffee Analysis sounds great, doesn't it? It sounds like a sweet rating website. Maybe we're in the wrong in- industry. Tom, what did you make of I've said Tom. Let's go with Tom Alderson. What did you make of what Joel had to say? I thought it was uh, really interesting. Um, and he's, we start, started off straight away by saying what a good job Ancelotti's done since he's taken over, which I completely agree with, like taking a team from just near the relegation zone to the, I think they were top after five games. And playing really well, and I think yeah, he's definitely done well there. And the improvement that he's um, 
the improvement in Dominic Calvert-Lewin um, is massive, and I think that's just a testament to his coaching. How good do we think that Everton are? I suppose is a, a good place to begin because um, I don't think anyone thinks that they are going to actually uh, legitimately challenge for the title, but um, they are going to be in and around the, the European spots, right? Um, do we expect them to sort of drop down a little bit, do you think? I think they're in six at the moment, and that's probably a fair uh, position for them. Like They're not as good as the, well, definitely not City, Liverpool, or even Chelsea. But yeah, in around with probably Leicester and those Europa, a fight for those Europa League spots is probably a fair reflection for them. Yeah, the, the, the two things stood out to me immediately, um, the, and, and both of them I was quite happy with. The first one was him saying that they play a medium block, which I think out of the three main ways of defending, that's the one we want. Um, and he also said, uh, and I've, I've written down the exact quote here, Liverpool Liverpool showed a lot of promise uh, with... Uh, with um, I've, I've written down the quote wrong, but he was basically saying that they had um, set patterns and they showed a lot of promise with that. And that also sounds quite similar to how we play in terms of attacking. So both those things uh, gave me cause for optimism. Yeah, I definitely felt the same way. I definitely feel as though Everton are going to be the sort of team that think that they should be coming out and trying to beat us. And similarly, I also think that Ancelotti is a bit of an old school coach. Um, so I think there's going to be a fair amount of tactical rigidity in terms of the way that his team set up. And I um, I guess that that would, should be fairly exploitable by Leeds. Um, the only spanner in the works, I think, then is the fact that in the last game they played against Fulham, they came out in the 3-4-3, which um, is the, the structure that we are starting to get a little bit nervous about. So um, how do we feel about that, Tom Woodhead? Yeah, it, it definitely does make me nervous because we've never looked particularly good while playing against it this season. But th- th- what I'm clinging to is that Everton, I'm sure, won't be as drilled in it as the other sides that we've faced who've played that way. And I think they will be naturally more attacking. And it, it seems almost that they, they play a similar way to Arsenal, perhaps with better quality. Um, but they'll it, seem, it seems more like that they're going to try and play out from the back a bit and, and, uh, and take us on, which I think is what we want. What? Or our takes on Ancelotti, um, Tom Alderson. What do you make of Ancelotti? It'll be interesting to see if he what he does in the midfield. Cause like he's he's brought in Alan and he's got Ducore there, who are not. I don't think are in just a midfield two. I think they might struggle against us. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he goes about that. And then having Alex Awobi at, at right wing. Is he playing right wing back? Um, well, that's what he did last weekend. Which he's he's not natural in that position. So. Um, but he's kind of put him there to sort of help Rodriguez um, defend him. Um, so I think the bat- the battle on that side with probably Dallas and Harrison will be um, quite interesting. Yeah, I, I, really, I haven't really given it a huge amount of thought right now. Um, I'm going to be doing the tactics preview later, so I'll watch some of their games and, and have a think about it. But I, I think there is quite a lot at stake tactically in this game insofar as like they've been playing a 4-3-3 all season pretty much apart from I think maybe a 4-2-3-1 here and there um, and a shift to a 3-4-3 at this point of the season one seems to me a little bit odd it seems like why would you suddenly just shift to that um, and two um, you know it could it could easily be the case that Ancelotti wants to tinker with things before um, before the Leeds game in the same way that you know we were convinced that Arteta was going to come out and play a 3-4-3 and then he just ended up not doing that and tried to counter Leeds in a in a, in a weird way that ended up being an attempt to sort of out Bielsa Bielsa um, so I wonder I wonder 
how likely it is that that he comes out in the three four three. I think if he does come out in the three four three, we'll just come out in the four one four one and pretty much push the second well the second striker a little bit higher like we do. So it's almost like a four four two. Um, but if he comes out in a four three three, I guess we'll um, yeah. What will we do? I guess it'll be a similar uh, similar structure. So I don't think it should matter too much. Uh, but um, Tom Woodhead, what, what do you make of Ancelotti? Do you, do you, is he the sort of manager that you would worry about tactically in that sense? I find Ancelotti fascinating. He's like a he's almost like the least revered of the big managers, isn't he? Mm. Even when when you actually look at his CV, I've got his, his the clubs he's managed here. Um, so uh, he he managed Reggiana and then Palmer at the start and then since he left Palmer his CV reads Juventus Milan Chelsea Paris Saint-Germain Real Madrid Bayern Munich Napoli and then Everton it's like that's an insane CV for any manager to Mm. have like he's just consistently being hired by like all the top clubs around Europe and he I think it's it's quite common knowledge that that he is a pragmatist. He he doesn't have a tactical vision, and that I think that's why so many big clubs are quite keen to hire him because he's happy to work with the players he's given. He's happy to um, indulge the players to a certain extent, and I think especially at Madrid, it seemed like he got the best out of those players for a while because he was he just he indulged them while still managing to form them into a coherent team that worked on the pitch. So. Mm. It's quite interesting now that I think that he's at Everton where you can't really get away with that. You have to sorry, my phone's gone off. Uh, you you have to you have to have a bit more about you and have ideas, I think. Whereas I don't think for mm. most of his career he's really needed to have ideas and that's not a criticism of him. He's just it's just that he's been working in situations where it's not been necessary. Mm. He's had just incredible players who can win games so long as you keep them happy. And he's been definitely like a fireman as well at a lot of these clubs, hasn't he? Like, there's there's been a lot of clubs where he's been brought in after someone's been uh, sacked um, in a bid to sort of get them playing solid football, try and sort out the dressing room, like you say, just be a little bit more of a of a solid choice. He's he's come after quite singular managers as well, I think, and managers with big ideas. I think he succeeded Pep by Munich, didn't he? Mm. And, and and those players can then just carry on Pep's ideas because they're still ingrained, but with a bit more freedom and, uh, you know, not they don't have Pep shouting at them in their ears every day. And similar with Napoli, I think he took over from um, Sarri, didn't he? Uh, so I think it's quite interesting that, yeah, he's been brought into these clubs and, and he didn't succeed Mourinho at, at Chelsea, but he did... He was. He came in fairly shortly after that. I think. Was it the same at Real Madrid as well that he came after Mourinho? It may have been, um, yeah. but either way, he just he yeah he seems to be an option that people in the past have turned to when they've thought, oh, I'm fucking sick of this, um, <laughs> this guy in my ear all the time, like telling me about how he wants to play football. I just want someone to get on with it, and he's always perfectly happy to do that. Yeah, I think I think that's a, a good point, and. I think that's probably why he has the reputation he has as being maybe the least of the big managers in the sense that a lot of people just sort of see him as being a, a good man manager. He's like solid tactically ish. I think, and, and that's what it comes down to. Like the the sense that I got to talking to Joel is that there's nothing too tactically fancy about what he does. He'll just get his team coach drilled well in that sort of structure um they're not going to do anything sort of out of the ordinary they'll sit in their in their sort of zones and and make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing but you you shouldn't really expect any creativity to come from the system so much as coming from James Rodriguez uh which I guess is why 
you know that which is why Everton have played well this season, right? They've got a bit of a creative spark in Hammers. They've got Dominic Calvert Lewin getting into the right places. Um, and they've got Richarlison as well. So in that sense, I suppose Ancelotti. It feels as though Ancelotti is kind of at home in a lower level team that have got sort of players who are match winners. Um, but at the same time, I do feel as though if Leeds can stymie Everton, then I think they'll probably do quite well. I get the impression that. Ancelotti will be the sort of pragmatic manager. He'll say, "Oh well, you know what? It didn't work out this time, but next week we've got X, Y, or Z. We'll play. We'll play solid against them, and we'll get something out of it." So, I'm feeling quietly confident about this game. Um, I don't know if anyone else is is also feeling confident for the same reasons. I I'm feeling more confident after listening to Joel. To be honest, um, I was a bit worried, and then there was sort of the way he was talking about how open Everton are at the back, um, and I had just a quick look at their recent results and like a team that concedes two to full and means we should probably be able to get some goals out of this game as a team who conceded three to full <laughs> yeah but it's actually i think i had to look through everton's results as well and it's like they've had two five twos a four two a four one and a three two here um, we go so yeah we've had what two four ones a four three so it's, it's going to be four all guys that's what i'm saying <laughs> Yeah, I I, th- I thought it was interesting what Joel was saying about um, he thinks that Everton will struggle with our man marking system mm. um, because Hammers is the kind of player that teams would maybe look to man mark anyway. So I think we're at a huge advantage given the fact that we would do that every single game regardless. So you know he he'll look to drift inside and um, and get into space, and I'm hopeful that he'll just get frustrated because Dallas is or or possibly Alioski is just going to be following him the entire time. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. I think. Um... I think when when you have a team that are sort of very rigid, one that's going to help us anyway. I don't think it's going to they're not going to pull us around that much. Uh, but two, when you rely on your creative player being someone who is going to try and float between the lines and those lines simply not existing, um, I think they'll they'll struggle um, there as well. So, I have got a, a question on the running order. Are there any Everton players that you worry about in particular? I guess we've mentioned some of the big players already. Uh, James Rodriguez, obviously, uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, uh, Richarlison on his day is is um, is elite, uh, and then you've got players like that we have mentioned, like Alan, who is I think a fantastic um, sort of covering midfielder as well. So, um, how are you like in terms of Everton players? Who are the ones that that you worry about in particular, Tom Woodhead? It is that front three really, and that might just be my own ignorance of you know, the rest of their squad. But uh, Calvert-Lewin, everyone, every team's going to be scared of him because he's having a great season. He seems like he's scoring every time he touches the ball. And Richarlison is a really good direct runner, uh, which is the kind of play that we can struggle against with the man-marking system. He's a good dribbler. Uh, and if you give him a tiny bit of space, he can do something a bit special. So I think if we can if we can keep that front three quiet, we'll have done very well. And it would they don't really seem to have many other obvious threats they, they don't have particular you know gone are the days of Leighton Baines uh getting in 70 crosses a game and uh <laughs> you know getting you know 30, 20 15 assists a season uh so I I'm if we can keep those three quiet I'd be quietly confident that we'll win how about you somehow what are you thinking about the uh the players that we need to look out for the other player that I think um impressed me from Everton is Luca Dean um so which is like a bit similar to Leighton Baines in a way. Um, I think he's him and Richarlison on the left-hand side. They do cause teams a lot of problems. And I think with moving to the 3-4-3, he is, he's kind of been offered even more scope to get forward. And I think I read an article on The Athletic, and it was when they moved to the 3-4-3 last 
last week. Um, they use well, they usually build up on the left hand side, then switch to the right. But actually, with the the three four three, they were doing the opposite, and um, it was giving Richarlison on the left hand side and Dini a lot of space um, to attack the other team. So I, I think that's I think whoever's playing right winger, whether it be Costa or Rafinha, will have a bit of a job on the hands to sort of try and keep him quiet. I definitely refer to your actual experience of watching Everton rather than my blind <laughs> supposition there, Tom. Let's talk about the Leeds wider squad selection then. So I guess we expect I guess we expect a four one, four one, um with I guess Dallas and, and a ailing back in their respective normal berths um beyond that i guess the question is whether or not we'll see like as you said rafinha or or costa um and i suppose maybe a question about whether or not rodrigo goes in and starts straight away so um tom alderson how do you see the the wider squad selection um or at least the 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 starting 11 on saturday i think we will see rodrigo come back in because i think he just we'd look better with him in the team and if they do set up 3-4-3 then will want to go kind of 4 4 and Rodrigo gives us more of that option um, whereas or who was it was Click and Dallas, Dallas. in midfield so <laughs> Dallas can play up front can't he? <laughs> Probably he's really good at shooting <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah Rodrigo straight back in I wonder if he'll go for Costa because I think he just trusts him more defensively but I've got no evidence to back that whatsoever. Um, and then I think the rest will just be the usual suspects, to be honest. Any changes from you, Tom Woodhead? Only to add that I, I'd be surprised if he dropped Rafinha because Bielsa's thing is always that if if you know if he puts a player in and they play well, he doesn't feel it's fair to drop them because he's being dishonest in some way. So I'd be surprised if he... Uh, I think it, most people would agree that Rafinha had a decent enough game against Arsenal, so I'd be surprised if he dropped him straight away. I guess it will come down to tactics. Um, I do feel as though with the wingers, we do have at least that scope that they do do different jobs. And so he might take that into account in a way that it doesn't feel like he would do in another position like the central defensive midfield position. Like uh, we've, I, I think part of the reason why Bielsa is, is beholden to starting 11s match to match is that for most of his time at Leeds, he's not really had much flexibility. Um, so right, it will be interesting to see what happens, I think, with the with the wide positions in particular, because I do, I think that there is scope that he could, he could do something like Tom said and say, well, of the two players, um, Cost has been in the system more. I trust him a little bit more on the defensive side of things. So I'll play him. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm genuinely interested to see which, which one of those um, players is, is brought out. Just wait for like Tyler Roberts to be played now as a, <laughs> as a, as an eight and, uh, and everything that we say. Turn it, turn into dust. I do feel as though last week we were expect we were well. Bielsa was expecting Arsenal to play the three four three, but with Lacazette in the in the number nine slot and dropping a little bit deeper. Um, I think we were expecting to line up in the three three one three, which is why we saw Alioski and Dallas on the on the field, and then we just sort of tweaked things around a little bit. So it will be interesting to see if Everton do come out in a different um, formation, whether or not we see. Um, something a little bit um, different in terms of Bielsa having to make a last minute switcheroo. But um, I suppose there's not really much scope for much different uh, different different uh, different formations to occur, I don't think, because he'll still play against a front three, he'll play a back four. Um, and against a back four, he'll probably play a front three. So I still think we'll see the 4-1-4-1 four, one, four, one in that situation. Um, one thing I will say about the four... 
343 uh, that Everton could play. And this is why I thought Arsenal would play. And I think why Arsenal actually came a bit unstuck is that I feel as though when because they played a 4-2-3-1, they, got, they matched us in midfield player for player. So they had um, Joe Willock man-marking Cal, uh, Calvin Phillips. And then they had Xhaka and Ceballos man-marking basically Click and, and Dallas. Um, and I just don't think that's. I just don't think it's worth playing three in midfield against Leeds because they use the central midfield area so little in their build-up that it feels as though you're just wasting a player that can be used better out wide. Um, so it will be interesting to see whether or not um, uh, Ancelotti comes out and decides on the basis of that to stick with a three-four-three rather than the the four-three-three, which obviously has three midfielders in the middle as well. Um, I don't know if anyone has any thoughts on that. It's just something that came to me in the week. Well, just only that um, Ancelotti's Milan team that won the Champions League a couple of times is probably the narrowest uh, elite team I can I can ever remember. Like the Christmas tree. Yeah, I think sometimes they played a Christmas tree and sometimes they played a four four two diamond. I think, but right. um, okay. both were very narrow formations because he had um, Rui Costa and Kaká mm. and all these sort of uh, players who wanted to play in the number ten position, basically. Right. I mean, it's, it doesn't really relate to our game. I just thought I'd throw that in. No, there. but I do think it is interesting because I think team, teams that are, I think again Arsenal, I think were too narrow at the weekend, and this is something that I made in our made a point of in our video analysis is that Arsenal just sat narrow and allowed Leeds to have the ball in wide areas, in attacking wide areas, which is something that Leicester and Palace didn't do. And um, I think it really it really causes us problems when teams do that because I think a lot of a lot of teams who play sort of mid block or low block will just I mean and this is what Arsenal were doing like Arsenal had a sort of like half hearted high press where they tried to stop us in the build up phase but as soon as we broke their press they just sort of sat deep and narrow um, and were happy to just sort of let us come at them over and over again now arguably that worked but I think if you you then just sort of at a, are at the behest of sort of a, a counter attack coming off, um, and and Leeds being uh, in disarray at the back, um, which maybe is a, <laughs> a fair uh, gamble to take. But um, I think the Palace, for example, caused us a lot more problems, and I think had a lot more chances to counter attack as the, on the basis of the fact that they were able to break us down in those areas in a way that Arsenal didn't until the red card weirdly when their two wide forwards then just sat back as sort of mid outside midfielders and were able to help in the press and then suddenly they broke three times quite dangerously uh, even with 10 men so um, yeah I think narrowness is really important when you're playing Leeds or the lack of narrowness width you might call it um, let's talk about the players that we're expecting good performances from on the Leeds side, um, Tom Alderson, um, which which Leeds players need to play well if we're to beat Everton? Um, I think Stuart Dallas is going to have to play well because he's going to probably going to have to follow James Rodriguez across the pitch wherever he goes. Um, and then the the wingers, um, would I think as well, because I think whoever plays on the right, like I've said, will have to be looking after uh, Dean. And then I think... If we're going to get anything out of this game, I think Harrison's going to have to get over his problems um, against the three-four-three, and I think playing against Alex Awobi, who it probably will be, but it might be Seamus Coleman. Um, but I think Joel said he might play a right centre back, so um, I'm not sure there. But I think yeah, Harrison is going to have to play well if we're if we're going to do if we're going to win this game. Tom Woodhead, any advances on that? Yeah, I would have said the same, but I'll add Liam Cooper into that. Uh, I think if 
you know, Calvert-Lewin's got great movement and he's also very physical. And I think Cooper could struggle with that if he's not really on top of his game. So I'm hoping he puts in a top performance. And then finally, how do we expect the game to unfold on Saturday, Tom Woodhead? I'm hoping it's going to be like the Villa game in that, that you know, they're setting off in this kind of milk toast medium block and um, really want to prove that they're an elite team and that they can outplay us and, and we that's that's the that's the kind of team I want to play every week. Um, so I'm really hoping that happens and that we um, and that we eventually in games like that it can almost get to the point where it seem it seems like every time they have the ball they make a bad pass because they're so knackered from chasing us around and um, their their entire game plan of trying to keep the ball and and be patient breaks down. So I'm hoping something like that happens. Yeah, I've got to agree, and um, I think we're I think like I've said, there's going to be quite a few goals in this game, but. Um, I, I can see, having listened to what Joel said, I am fairly confident. So um, I just think it'll be high scoring, but I think we could, we should get something from it. Well, there you have it. That's the all stats, aren't we? Everton preview. Uh, keep an eye out on our Twitter feed. I will hopefully get a tactics preview up later today. If you like our content and you want to get more of it, we have a Patreon channel, which gives bonus um, content to subscribers um, we have various things up there I've already mentioned the video analysis that I've put up this week um, we also have bonus podcasts as well over there uh, if you think that sounds interesting want to check it out head over to www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we three people who have done that this week are Ole Hagen Adam Finney and Lewis Myers so thank you guys for that um, all that remains for me to do is to say then thank you Tom thank you and thank you Tom thank you got your name right this time (laughs) and we'll be back on Sunday with a review episode so we'll see you there Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market